Welcome back to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, along with Dr. Rhonda Wells-Wilburn. I'm always looking forward to speaking with Rhonda because she's one of those people that just emanates energy and positivity. And in past conversations, she'd often referred to hope as being a key component to any kind of mental health recovery. So we're going to dive deep on hope and faith today. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be with you again. (laughs) So the last time that we spoke, um, in several instances when I was asking you about kind of complex behavioral issues and things, you kept referring to faith as being part of what you ask people to rely on in their healing journey. And I thought, I think it would be really important to maybe describe to people what you mean when you're talking about faith and how you suppose that people can get more of it. Can we begin with how do you describe faith? I think that I would define faith as, in general, a belief in things being possible that is beyond your control. Mm. And then I think from a religious or spiritual perspective, a belief in God and that God is in control and everything is possible. So... Yeah, I think you can have a general belief that in things beyond your control, but then also believe that God is ultimately in control. When you speak to your clients, do you need to know first whether or not they believe in a God or whether they have some belief system that allows them to rely on this faith as a healing mechanism? So I don't necessarily have to know in advance. So it's not usually a question that I ask as part of the demographic information. I wait until it comes up or doesn't come up because what I try to do, just use whatever clients bring to the situation. And then if they also talk about faith or talk about religion or their church or God, then I'll start engaging them. But until then, I just, I know that he's with me. I just kind of go from there. One of the most interesting things about um, running this show for the past year and a half has been that one of the tenets I always hear our psychologists and psychiatrists um, speak about in healing is only obsess about what you can control. There's all these big things beyond our capacity, beyond our day-to-day living that we really have no control over. So do what you can with that, which is in your control. And what's fascinating about what you're saying, Rhonda, is that you're asking us to go ahead and turn this other part of this over to another being, another, another loving sense in your life. And I wonder how difficult it is for people to do that. Well, I think once you help people to realize what can you do with the things that you can cannot do anything about. So if you if you help them to just focus on the things that they can do something about, then automatically they'll start focusing on the things they can't control less. And once they start doing that, then the universe takes over and takes control. So they don't even have to necessarily ask for that to happen. It's just the recognition that these are the things I can do something about. And so I'm going to just focus on these things that I can do something about. And the rest of it, I'm just going to put it to the side. And so once you put it to the side, then, you know, the universe takes over and intervenes on your behalf and starts to move that stuff around. So people, at least that's what I believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that people who have grown up in very religious households have this, it's almost like an institutionalized belief and knowledge about 
their religion and their God if all things went well. Sometimes if it didn't go well, they don't have it at all. How do you help people who have never developed a sense of spirituality or a sense of that there's someone, some other being, some other force in the universe that is benevolent and there to help them? So you're talking about people who may not necessarily have a religious foundation, yes, um, but that are not necessarily opposed to? Well, I think just to help people to... Um, learn how to go inward and to find a quiet space, you know, within themselves that they can tap into for their own self-empowerment. If you're open to it, it's still something that is possible. But one of the ways that you tap into it is going inward. And you don't have to call it God. Yeah, you can call it love yeah. or silence yeah. or peace. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I know right now that um, so many people are on just pins and needles wondering what's going to happen with our country, with um, racial trauma, with the divide that we see in this. Essentially, eventually, everything will fall in place. I really do believe that. But I think because we don't really know what will happen one way or the other or how people will react one way or the other, then the best thing that we can do is be prepared for you know, self-care and self-care is, you know, making sure you have the things that you need. And so my sons who are young adults and think they know, you know, every single thing and they're both in graduate school. So then they even more think that they think even more, you know, that they know everything. They're like, okay, what, what exactly do you think might happen? It's like, dude, I'm not trying to get into all of those details because I have no idea. Right. Take my advice, please. <laughs> Go to the grocery store. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. Do the things you need to do. Yeah, I, I love that, Rhonda, because I do feel like it gets back to that. You can have all of the faith, all of the hope, all of the well-intentioned um, motivation moving toward this pivotal day. And if you don't have enough groceries to last when there may or may not be unrest, you're not going to do well. So some of it is practical and some of it is definitely spiritual. I really like thinking about it that way. I want to get back to this issue of hope so much. I really do wonder if there is more of a role for church pastors, for spiritual leaders to play in the outreach and help for people who are struggling psychologically right now. I know that in the past, it seemed like that has fallen to yourself, social workers and psychologists and psychiatrists, but there's a great need for, for incredible help right now. I think two thirds of Americans say they're suffering from extreme anxiety and depression, according to Kaiser, which suggests to me that the local church could be such a haven for people, but they've traditionally really just ignored this problem, if not said, look, that's not our bailiwick to be talking about. I think that it is true that a lot of churches ignore, you know, mental health issues and outreach, etc. But I also, you know, I, I think that there are a good number of churches. I mean, and it probably is at both extremes. Your mega churches and then your smaller churches are probably doing some of those things. It's probably the ones in the middle 
that may not be big enough and may not feel like they have the resources, but then your smaller churches, you know, it's more of a family feeling and the connections are there. And it's so interesting because my mom goes to a very small church and I go to a mega church. And I think in both situations, we have those kinds of things, you know, with our pastor or other ministries, you know, at our church. And then we also can talk to, you know, our brothers and sisters in faith as well. You know, that is also always a resource. I've spoken with several um, pastors who weren't, who didn't have the resources, and they're right in that sweet spot that you just described, not quite big enough to have additional resources. And one of the things they say is that there was a kind of underwhelming response by their seniors that said that people who are suffering should believe in God and that they wow. should believe God will take care of it. And many times when people are sick, that is not the case. You know, it's not the case if you. If you had the disease of any other organ, that God would take care of it. Sometimes you got to go to the doctor and get medicine. Right. Just exactly for like sure. that for the brain, you know? So I was curious what you thought about that, if that was more an institutional thing that you see changing, or if there's still, if that bias still exists. Well, I'm sure that the bias still um, exists in some pockets and some places. I think that we were very much in that place at one time. I think we moved away from it. And then now people are recognizing within the church that those kinds of resources are necessary and needed. And I think when you create a ministry around certain needs, everybody can buy into that, you know, even your elderly, because it, it is this particular ministry that is providing food or, you know, assistance. And so I see that working, you know, in some places and maybe some churches that feel a bit disconnected from those kind of resources within their church. And that's another thing too. Churches often have a lot of resources amongst their members. And sometimes it's just knowing, you know, what expertise that is so that you can kind of bring that into um, you know, into the church. That's really what I love about what you do is this almost practical application of help. You know, if it's food, you can provide food. If it's baby formula, you can you can know how to marshal baby formula for people if they need assistance getting a car so that they can get a job. Social workers have this unique ability to actually see the practical aspect of this. No, that is so basic to our training. I mean, if you can't do that as a social worker, I mean, all the other stuff is more like icing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, the, exactly. The therapy, you know, the therapy and those kinds of things. Is But if people can't eat or don't have shelter, you know, that's that's where we start. That's exactly that's right. So Rhonda, give me an example of someone, and you don't have to name names, but perhaps um, an example of either one of your clients or somebody that you've worked with directly where acquiring faith really helped them. Hmm, that's interesting. I think that so often things will happen kind of naturally. Mm -hmm. And so you don't often always identify it as such or think of it as such. Um, but for myself personally, like I've had so many different, you know, times and experiences where I just could it was nothing else, honestly, that I could do. So I just had to lean into my faith. And I guess one example is following my divorce, I, I moved around quite a bit. I mean, there were some times when I would look around where I was living and it was a far cry from the big house with the housekeeper that came every two weeks, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, God, is this really, <laughs> is this really what you have for me, you know? 
in that space, I learned how to be self-sufficient, how to be okay with life being simple. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I, I believe now that that was what the lesson was all about. Like I could have easily went from one big house to another big house, but I had to go to a humbling space. You know, in order to actually deal with and address some things that perhaps I would not have mm-hmm. if I hadn't perceived myself as, you know, being in a different space that was like, wow, wait a minute, why, why exactly am I here? Mm-hmm. And then once I learned the lessons, you know, I was able to buy my own home and, and, and move on and move forward. But to, in, my, in my thinking, those are moments and times when God actually is working with you. And it's actually, I mean, he's always in control, but once I surrendered to it and stopped trying to fight it, when it was my time to move on, I was able to move on. And I learned so many valuable lessons in those small spaces, you know, that I would not have learned. I'm, I am so sure. Wow. Do you feel like in making sure that one's mental health is intact and and that you're always working on this idea of self-development and self-improvement, that having some form of faith, whether it is a practice of meditation or a practice of deepening one's own relationship to God, is important in keeping a person's psychological well-being on the upward arc? For sure, because I think we always have to create time and space to be still and to be quiet Mm. and to be intentional. A lot of things don't happen simply because we're not intentional about them happening. And so I do think that there is always a space for being intentional about being more in tune with, you know, some spiritual energy or God, or just even knowing what it, what is it that I am supposed to be doing. And sometimes you have to shut out everything and quiet the noise so that you can really, really think about it. I love that, uh, Rhonda, because I, I talk a lot with one of our other doctors about a values-oriented way of being in the world, and, and they don't have a, a spiritual background or a spiritual relationship, but they are very in tune with what their values are, how they see the world in terms of what they want to offer people around them, what their goals are in terms of being a human being right now. And so I love being able to toggle between, do you call it a relationship with God or do you call it a relationship with your deepest self? I think that that's a very fascinating thing to think about. For sure. For sure. And I don't know, there's a part of me that is just my spiritual self that believes that it doesn't matter what you call it. I think from my religious side, I would say, okay, you definitely want to call it God. Mm. But there's also another part of me that recognizes and realizes, once again, I always keep coming back to this. God is present and he shows up whether you ask for him to or not. I think you can probably get get more done if you ask. But I also think that, you know, he fills voids and spaces in our lives even when we don't ask him to. And some of it is just when we are doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And when we are in line with what our purpose is. I, I, I love um, the way that you're talking about it right now, Rhonda, because I think that for so many people, we don't actually have time in this fast-paced world to think, is what I'm doing now in line with my purpose, my values, my 
my ideals about who I want to be, right? We're just rushing around and going to work and trying to get food on the table and, and creating these intentional moments that you talk about seem super important, whether you're religious or not. For sure. And I, and I do think that when, we, when what we're doing feels good, then we know that we're doing the right thing. But when things don't feel good, because I think a lot of people spend their lives doing things that they don't really like, mm -hmm. but it's the only thing that they know. I, I think that there's always something else for you because I think that what you're supposed to be doing, you will feel good about. You will enjoy it and maybe not all the time, but you will have some enjoyment in it. Yeah. And you will feel the purposefulness of it. Yeah. You know? I love and that. it doesn't always have to be work. It can be something different. Sometimes we have to work jobs that we don't necessarily like. Mm -hmm. And we find the meaning in other areas or other places, you know, in our lives. I, I have often had this experience in looking back at the myriad of jobs that were just sort of like on I took just because I needed to, to make money and I wanted to do it, but every single one of them were building blocks for the career I have now, which is to talk to a myriad of different people about a myriad of different topics. And I'm like, oh yeah, once I was yeah. a salesperson just like you. So <laughs> I think that all of that falls into place in the back, you know, when you can look at it in the rear view mirror. So I want to ask about the, the very hurting nature of a lot of Americans right now, especially those who may have lost their jobs or they may have lost someone to COVID. And, and there's an awful lot of hurt um, I know that God provides incredible comfort for those people, but Rhonda, how do you answer the question for those who have suffered the greatest losses and who now blame God? Hmm. That's not unusual, and it's okay. Like, it's okay to blame God. I mean, he can hold that. I just think that blaming God or blaming anything is a little bit of a a misuse of, of time and energy. I mean, I think you can spend some time doing that just to get out the frustration of it all. But I think that once we can move away from that and really reshift and refocus, so I mean, I believe that goodness always wins, ultimately. I really, really do. And so I think people have to be in tune with that. Like right now may not feel good, but ultimately, you know, goodness wins. It, it, it will triumph over. And it's okay to be angry at God. He can handle it. But it's a little bit of waste of your time and energy to do so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of other pieces to probably be picked up right now, aren't there? Yeah. You know, like resumes to be updated. Ugh. Who wants to yeah. be able to do that? So do you have any other advice for people who may be interested in a spiritual journey who hadn't previously thought about attempting to build the foundation of faith? Um, well, certainly there's so many things that you can read. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be the Bible. I've read so many books that are so spiritually grounded that have been so helpful for me. I think just finding books, perhaps, and things to read, I think everyone who is trying to build the, a, a strong relationship with God certainly should be, you know, reading the Bible. So that would be the first thing. And I'm an educator, so I always start with the learning piece, you know. Sure. But I also think that, you know, surrounding yourself with people who you, you know, see as being people of faith or 
people who seem to be very grounded and seem to be happy. And you surround yourself with those people. And I think that then you'll start seeing a lot of that in your own life. So I just, mm. it's about our relationships, our relationships and our connections and, and, and knowing, you know, filling our minds and our spirits with the right knowledge and right information. That's beautiful. So one of the things that um, I think about is um, the importance of prayer. Nothing has power unless you believe that it has power. Mm-hmm. You know, I think prayer is one of the things that helps us release things and let it go. You know, we talked about in the beginning, you know, those are the things you can let go pray for it and release it and let it go so it gives it gives us a sense of peace i think i think it's also a sense of clarity and that you've actually just spoken the words about what you wish for most in your life you know Mm -hmm. sometimes it's hard to actually know what your priorities is until you hear yourself saying it right you know for sure I, i think that that's a fascinating aspect of prayer it also just forces us to our knees and grounds us in that place of silence that you were talking about earlier it it occurs to me that when we talk about faith that you almost have to in tandem talk about hope how important it is to hold on to hope that things are going to be better yeah Yeah. And also, I think a little bit of knowledge of history helps because although we say, oh, things have never been this bad, you know, we always, whatever the present time is, is always worse than any other time. And it's like, but no, if you look over history, we've we've lived through some pretty, you know, challenging and difficult times. And we will, we will survive. We will be fine. I mean, unfortunately, there are always losses. Mm. And I think that's the hardest part. But ultimately, we haven't lived through the same thing that's happening, but we've lived through very, very difficult times and difficult things. And we actually know more now. We have more resources now. So I think that our capacity to bounce back is certainly there. What's the most calming thing that you're sharing with your students and people who come to see you for this kind of advice right now? I'm telling people to gather the things that make them feel warm and fuzzy So, you know, because we're spending so much time in our homes now. And so purging, I think, is important and good. You know, declutter your space and then fill your space with things that make you. When I I walk into my home, I feel the release because my my home puts its arms around me Mm. when I walk into it. You know, I have my candles and I have my scents and I have the things that make me feel you know, that make me feel warm and fuzzy. So I think, and everybody deserves to have that. So now that we're spending so much time in our homes, you know, make your house that that space for yourself. Dr. Rhonda, it is so wonderful to catch up with you. And I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to uh, talk about this. Thank you. If you love the program, please give us a thumbs up. And we've been hearing from so many of you on our email and on our blog page that I would love to have any more suggestions about questions you have like the question of how important is faith in your mental health and I want to thank again our guest today Dr. Rhonda always a pleasure thank you 